morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream, good right this, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We have a lot to talk about today. It, it is, um, man, this is a very weird day for, te or a weird week for tech news, I should say. I say day because so much news broke on Friday that I'm not even kidding. Quite possibly a third to one half of the entire podcast day is going to be all news that broke Friday. For those who don't know, I do a daily show called the Early Burb Briefing, which is a very short four minute kind of super summarized version of Eagle Eyes on Tech that covers the latest news. The episode for Friday morning, I struggled to find a story. Then yesterday when I record Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays, I had my pick of the litter. It's everywhere. Holy cow. <laughs> People in chat are saying, oh, sweet, a seven-hour podcast. Unfortunately now... Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, because um, this podcast is now broadcasted on the Helium Radio Network, we now have to try, we now have a, a time constraint. We got to try and fit everything within two hours. We have a two hour time slot now on that network. So our goal is to get everything in that two hour time slot, which I am confident we can easily do. With that said, let's actually get to it. Microsoft Office has a zero-day vulnerability that allows remote code execution. And it's being actively supported. It's... <laughs> As though you didn't have any more reasons before to go ahead and not click and open suspicious files. Hey, guess what? You know that Microsoft Word document? Well, now it might just give control of your computer over to some random guy. Woo! Isn't that what everyone wanted? To now fear the Excel spreadsheet? I mean, granted, you already feared Microsoft PowerPoint in the first place, because let's be honest, once you have left high school, no joy has ever come from a Microsoft PowerPoint presentation. I guarantee it. Maybe with like one or two notable exceptions. But man, after, after high school, that's it. It's all downhill from there. So yeah. Don't open suspicious files. Also update Microsoft Office. And while you're at it. Actually, I'd say just stop using Microsoft Office, but. Man, every alt alternative to Microsoft Office is terrible. Office software in general is just terrible. Although everyone that told me, hey, you, you dingus streamer who, you, who still uses OpenOffice, you need to stop using OpenOffice and use LibreOffice. I actually did try it. I did try switching my... Uh, 
my game key giveaway database from open office to libra office libra office is just as far as database software goes is literally non-functional it is awful straight up hot garbage and should never be used by anyone ever some of the other functions of LibreOffice are probably great, fantastic, but the database software for LibreOffice, never, ever, ever use it. That piece of software should be burned. Yeah, see, people in the chat are already strongly dis disagreeing. Again, the other parts of LibreOffice may be good. I don't use them. But the database software, awful never use it there's my word of warning for you holy cow failed entries after crashes after recover from save going back four saves ago it's just non-functional almost as non-functional as uh the windows 11 android subsystem because that is not functional on xbox that was a terrible segue. I greatly apologize for that. But the point is, is that those rumors that I don't recall if we actually talked about or not about Xbox getting the same functionality as Windows 11 for Android is not coming at all. If you were hoping to play Flappy Bird. Actually, wait, no, Flappy Bird's not on Android anymore. What, what is the most popular like? Android only game that's not available on PC because I know someone would say among us but that actually is on Xbox if you're hoping to play Candy Crush on your Xbox it is not happening I'm sorry actually wait Candy Crush might be on Xbox don't play Candy Crush honestly someone in chat says Clash of Clans <laughs> Raid Shadow Legends. Oh man. Oh man. Just just no. Just no. <laughs> man, I really wish there were I mean, like when it comes to like mobile games, the best one I hear about is Genshin Impact and then after that, it's some kind of gotcha nonsense. That just makes you go, wow, I wish I never heard of this ever. It's so sad. All the opportunity and now it is just massive, massive piles. Absolute piles. Speaking of piles, Texas. Okay, no. In all seriousness, Texas is passing a social media deplatforming law. This law, its sole goal is to say that on social media platforms of a certain threshold, you can the owners cannot ban anyone solely based on their political beliefs. Now, you know what's going to be very interesting about this law? Does it stand up to any kind of court challenge? Because you know what's happening. It's going to happen. 
Facebook, Twitter, someone is going to take this law to court and see if it stands constitutional muster. And I'm not going to lie. I don't know. I have, I mean, granted, I'm not a legal expert. I know enough to play a legal expert on a podcast. And even then, I know when I don't know enough. And in this case, I definitely don't know enough. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how this goes in court. Because we have been talking about quite a bit about social media platforms saying, hey, you can go ahead and we are free of responsibility for what anyone posts. But at the same time, we are going to heavily moderate every single post as though we are responsible for every post. This is going to go straight in line with that kind of mentality that Twitter and Facebook has and get the popcorn. Cause this is going to be quite a show. Someone in chat says on the face, no, but since 2016, the, the courts are drunk. Yeah. I, I really, again, I don't know where this is going to go. Now, the first argument, of course, would be, of course, it's not going to pass muster. It violates the First Amendment because it's. Because it's, you know, a governmental body, in this case, the, the government of Texas restricting the speech, which would be in this case, be the moderation of social media platforms. And the speech being how they manage their own platforms. On its face, that's how it should go. But then at the same time, you have these same media platforms trying to take advantage of other laws while still violating those same sort of laws. This would be the section, I can't remember what the heck it's called, but we've talked about it before in the past. Which is exactly why when I look at this and go, It's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Speaking of cases and how they're going to go, uh, do stick around because, yes, the Apple v. Epic Games case finally does have a verdict. We will talk about that, what it means, because there's a lot of reports that are talking about this technically incorrect, but it's going to be, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Someone in chat says, in the end, this means Facebook will be banned in Texas. You know what? (laughs) If the end game is getting Facebook banned, maybe this won't be so bad after all. Oh. In in any case. You know, that's my, that's my, section 230, that's what it was. Thank you. Thank you, guy in chat. That, that's what the, um. That's what the rule that so many of these uh, social media platforms are trying to take advantage of. But yeah, this is definitely going to be one that we will be uh, following because it's a matter of time, right? I mean, this story currently at the time of recording this is 16 hours old. It would not surprise me if come... uh, 
Tuesday when I record the next early bird briefing, I'm talking about how Facebook is suing Texas. Meanwhile, Proton Mail has been has logged IP addresses of French activists in order after an order by the Swiss authorities. <laughs> Slow freaking clap. Oh boy. That uh boy is that interesting. Now, granted, depending on how tech-savvy these French activists are, I would strongly recommend that if ISPs function in France the same way they do here in the U.S., uh, might I recommend unplugging your router? Counting to 60 and plugging it back in. This will grant you a completely random IP address as most residential IP addresses are what's referred to as dynamic. Someone in chat has given me a story that is apparently an update. Um, yep, sure enough, already, um, apparent. Wait, this actually predates the other story, what? We have a time conflict here. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter will fight the Texas crackdown on censorship of, we'll say, certain political speeches, because I don't want to say things that are, that's going to get us flagged as a political show when we are, in fact, a tech show. Looking at you, Verge. Like I said, it was only a matter of time. It just turned out... <laughs> It was according to bad publishing times before the law got passed. All right, so we, we got to go and prep the popcorn now then. But anyway, back to the Proton Mail story. The fact that you already have uh, other other countries trying to force other providers to go ahead and perform tasks like this on other bodies. I mean, this is like some spy movie level nonsense here. And the fact that it is by a company like Proton Mail, which formerly, unless I'm mistaken and mixing up my, my names here, Proton Mail was in fact originally supposed to be, in fact, yes, it is a privacy based email service where in fact they focus on end-to-end -end encryption on their communications well look at that you have an authority tap them on the shoulder hard enough and all of a sudden all that privacy gone with the snap of a finger that was a terrible snap it doesn't matter this mic isn't picking it up anyway that was a much better snap but still not picked up i digress so always uh, keep that in mind. Meanwhile, in the land down under, a new surveillance law has given authorities the power to change social media posts. Well, that's uh, interesting. 
the law is is supposed to is supposed to give the three new powers one data disruption warrants which allow authorities to disrupt data by copying deleting or modifying data as they see fit network activity warrants permit the collection of intelligence from devices or networks that are used or likely to be used by subject of the warrant or account takeover warrants which let agencies take control of an online account such as social media account to gather information for an investigation these are the three primary laws and yes part of this would allow the edit of posts You know, we were talking before we even started the podcast about how tinfoil hats is one heck of a drug. You know, I might need to add tinfoil to my shopping cart. Holy cow. Holy freaking cow. This is some, uh, some big, big brother nonsense going on. What else can you do? And now, to top that all off, an Australian court has ruled that that media outlets are liable for the Facebook comments that are made about them. Could you imagine right now for a minute if you... As a Twitch streamer, let's pretend you're a Twitch streamer, all right? Let's pretend you get hate rated, that thousands of bots start posting some offensive nonsense. And now you are held liable for what those thousands of bots that you had nothing to do, you were attacked by those trolls. But now you are held liable and now you can be brought to court because defamatory things were said in your chat room. That is what just happened. According to this Australian court, what the heck is going on in the world, in the land down under? What is going on? That is, uh, wow. I actually, be, like this ruling on its face. Now, granted, there could be like some sub lines in there. I will fully admit, I have not read the full decision by the Australian court. And let's be honest, I'm fairly fluent in US legalese. I am 100% illiterate to Australian legalese. So it may not be as bad as this AP story is, is leading on. Let's be perfectly honest in that regard. But on its face, holy cow, what the heck? 
I, I really can't say anything more, but what the heck? So therefore I won't. And instead just leave you with something that's gonna hit a little closer to home and also be a little more grounded in reality. That uh, WhatsApp, which by the way is owned by Facebook, it turns out they're end-to-end -end encrypted messages that no one can see 100% at all are in fact potentially moderated and reviewed by both AI and human moderators. Wow, what are the odds? Who would have thought that the Facebook owned company is spying on secret messages? Wow, who would have ever thought? Oh wait, literally everyone. Who actually thought for a nanosecond? Okay, let me rephrase that. Once you learn that WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, how many of you actually believed that your secret messages were actually secret? If so, it's time for a quick lesson. Facebook makes their money by gathering information and spying on everything you do. They collect as much information as they possibly can about you and then use that information to sell you ads. Okay? That is how Facebook functions. They are shockingly good at this. They are also shockingly bad at keeping secrets. The information they gather leaks out on a semi-regular basis. In fact, we have got, we actually went for a while for like four months straight, every single week, a new Facebook leak um, story. So the fact that products that are owned by Facebook also spy on you and that anything you thought was secret actually wasn't secret should not surprise anyone as long as you know what the actual goal of Facebook is. Which, by the way, is also why you should absolutely not buy the new Ray-Ban stories by Facebook, which is in fact Facebook's first generation smart sunglasses so what these are although all my pictures just crashed are are sunglasses that sell for 300 dollars that look dangerously close to super generic sunglasses but have a speaker three microphones and cameras built right into them they do not however have a display there is no heads-up display in these smart glasses but they can in fact record video but you know don't worry if you're concerned about privacy or security facebook has talked with five different security firms and they all said that Privacy is not a concern with these sunglasses. Everything is A-OK. -okay. Ignore the fact that 
you know, other outlets have uh, found that Facebook has paid money to at least four of the five outlets they got these reports from. Ignore that fact. Just pay attention to the fact that it's $300 and you can spy on your friends in 30 second clips at a time. I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, first off, if you ever actually see me on stream with my sunglasses, you know that these style of su- these super generic, like Ray-Ban gas station style sunglasses, they're not my style. The ones I actually have are uh, Viper blue blockers. And I actually like the color and style of these way more. But also because, you know, light shines through the side and then it's a completely useless. But it's not only the fact that, by the way, these were done by Facebook! If there's one company I trust the least, it's Facebook. I would trust if these were from Google or Amazon or pretty much anyone more than Facebook. But keep in mind before you take my quote out of context that I probably still wouldn't trust these sunglasses if they were from Amazon. I would just trust them more than I would if they came from Facebook. You can, believe it or not, you can have varying levels of distrust. It's just for me, Facebook is somewhere near a negative 69 out of 10. Always, always keep in mind who is behind the product. We're going to take a break here when we come back. We're going to break down the Apple v Epic Games story. We finally have a verdict, but it ain't over yet. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Some people in chat during the break actually brought up a very good point. Uh, These glasses would actually be banned in certain countries because they do not make an audible sound while taking a picture. Apparently in, from what we're able to tell, and granted, this is, you know, third-hand information. If we're wrong about another country's law, don't come after us. This is just idle chat that, you know, me and chat all had during the break. You know, all, all that disclaimer nonsense. But um, in France and in Japan, any camera, video, still, or otherwise must make an audible sound that cannot be muted when it takes a picture. And since the speaker that's built into these, into these sunglasses are in fact only audible to the person wearing them since you know the speaker's small and it's meant to only be used as listening devices for yourself it would then be illegal in japan it makes sense because there was a rash of people using phones on selfie sticks and whatnot to take uh, very compromising and and very lewd photos upskirts and all that sort of jazz you know, you, you've heard those sort of sto- stories. I'm willing to bet if you've been on the internet for 
I'd say at least five minutes, but I digress. I'm not sure what the story is in France other than, you know, France might have just heard that and go, you know what? That's a good idea. We do that now, which is fine. Now, as far as the microphones being able to listen in and record, that actually here in the United States can bring up some very, very interesting potential lawsuits down the road. Unlike other countries where there's just like one big law about recording, in the United States, when it comes to audio conversations, it varies what you are and aren't allowed to record from state to state to state. Here in Wisconsin, where I live, you can record an audio conversation if at least one person within the conversation consents to being recorded, which is a very, very weird law, but it does mean that say when I put, when I mount my phone on a microphone and say, record a conversation between an, a scammer, that is not illegal because I, as the person that has consented to recording the conversation between me and a scammer from India have consented to making the recording. Sounds weird, right? And really creepy. But that's how the law is here in this state. But other states, that's not the case. In other states, like California, for instance, and I'm not a legal expert in in California law because no one is a, is a legal expert in Californian law. I believe both parties of a conversation have to consent to the to the conversation being recorded, which of all the crazy things California does, that one makes more sense rather than the one here in Wisconsin, which is that the, the law here in Wisconsin is silly. It's, it's silly in the head. You know what's also silly in the head? Apple's victory over Epic Games in Apple v. Epic. You want to know why it's silly? Because I'm willing to bet before you open this podcast, you thought that Epic won. Because everyone and their mother reported that Epic won. So why the heck have I said Apple won? Because Apple did. Epic Games was unable to prove that Apple's wall garden is considered a monopoly by legal definitions. Insufficient evidence was provided on behalf of Epic Games to show that the Apple ecosystem is in fact a monopoly. And let's be honest, you're probably not surprised by that ruling because the entire Apple v. Epic's case was Holy cow, that was a train wreck. The, the whole case and a lot of the evidence that was, that was shown was just basically two giant companies slinging feces at each other. That was the whole case. Barely any of them actually provided a rather solid concrete 
proof for their statement. And when they did, it was greatly overshadowed by, but he's a big meanie poop. So as a result, Epic Games does in fact have to pay Apple millions of dollars in transaction fees that Epic tried to circumvent by making a third party payment processor, which was against Apple's terms of service. So Epic is actually out millions of dollars, which in the case of billion dollar companies is basically like the equivalent of like a hundred dollar fine for most of us. Someone in chat says, remember how Apple need all of Steam's data for, for this lawsuit? I, I remember. I remember. They, like, both of them just tried gathering a metric ton of evidence and ended up, maybe some of it was used in the case. It was weeks long. But holy cow, most of it was just, like, a train wreck. Apple has, in fact, gone out and said that today, today is court. They're, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Apple's response to the case is that today the court has affirmed what we've known all along. The App Store is not in violation of antitrust. As the court recognized, success is not illegal. Apple faces rigorous competition in every segment in which we do business. And we believe customers and developers choose us because our products and services are the best in the world. We remain committed to ensuring the App Store is safe and is a safe and trusted marketplace that supports a thriving developer community and more than 2.1 million US jobs where the rules apply equally to everyone. I wanna just stress towards the tail end of that, they don't though. Apple has made plenty of exemptions where that whole 30% cut thing doesn't apply. So already a good chunk of that is wrong. And let's be honest. I mean, to say that this isn't a violation of antitrust, there is still only one store. There is still only one way to get your software onto an iPhone. That's it. Just because Epic did a bad job of making this case doesn't mean that the entire app store is not in violation of antitrust. Sorry. But, you know, that didn't stop outlets from saying, hey, Epic won big in the Apple trial verdict. And why is that? Why is everyone saying epic one even though the actual case says just the opposite that app that apple one someone in chat says yeah but it's their ecosystem so that's logical it's like asking microsoft to support linux the thing is is that In the case of Windows, you can install whatever. 
I can choose whether a game can be bought from the Microsoft Store, through Steam, or through the Epic Games Store. There are multiple ways into the Microsoft ecosystem. In the case of Apple, there is only one, the Apple App Store, which charges a high premium. That's the argument. Now, again, I'm not a legal expert. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, this sort of case, it doesn't solve anything. That's pretty much the point I'm trying to go with here. There is still, you know, the whole issue of, hey, does this, that, and the other thing still count? Can you go ahead and still have only one way in, and can you charge a a 30% premium to get into that ecosystem? That is what could be a violation of antitrust. Epic didn't do a good job of that because, of course, they started this whole thing with nefarious choice, with, with nefarious intents in the first place by violating their own terms of service to even start this in most likely the goal of getting an Epic Game Store on the Apple ecosystem. But back to the matter at hand, why? Why why is everyone saying Epic won? Because as part of the ruling, Apple has an indefinite injunction, injunction placed on them saying that they cannot force developers to use only its in-app payment system. That is the only thing Epic won in all of this. Because Apple saying that in order to put an app on here, you have to, if you're going to have in-app purchases, it has to be done through our payment process so you have literally no other choice, is in violation of California's antitrust law. And thus, Apple must provide a button, or, or I'm sorry, Apple must allow apps that if they choose to use another payment provider they can no longer just say hey you have to use ours you have no choice in the matter and someone in chat now asks the golden question isn't that everything epic wanted in the end anyway on the surface yes that is one of the things that epic wanted but again one of the things epic wanted and it was the one they were the most vocal about i still am under the belief that what epic that what epic's end game really was was to get an epic games app store on ios 
to become the Steam of iOS. I believe that's what one of the things Epic wanted. They didn't get that, unfortunately. But they also did not get their developer account restored because they were found in violation of, of Apple's terms and services. as well as a whole bunch of other little minor this, that's, and the other things while Epic threw their temper tantrum leading up to the court case in the first place. They lost all of that. The only thing they won was the ability to put a button on Fortnite so that you could go buy V-Bucks outside of the Apple system. And granted, this also does mean that, for example, we're broadcasting on Twitch right now. We're broadcasting this live uh, on Twitch before it goes on wherever you're hearing it right now. Let's pretend for a second you're watching on mobile and you wanted to subscribe. You would notice on mobile, the prices are higher. And that is because on mobile... Twitch charges a premium to use the internal payment processor because the internal payment processor on iOS and Google is way higher than any other payment processor. They charge something like 30% as a payment processing cut compared to other ones, which is like two. So this ruling does mean that on iOS at least, and potentially on Android as well down the road, you can see an additional way to purchase, and most likely that additional way to purpose will have a lower price, seeing as how there is no longer a 30% cut that then goes to Apple or Google. But on the actual app store itself, it, itself, itself, that is not required. So you're not going to see a, a lowering in the cost of apps. But that also being said, when was the last time you saw a paid app on an app store? Like they are few and far between. Zone in chat asks, I don't see why this doesn't mandate a second payment. Now, the actual injunction says they must allow the developer to put in a second payment provider if they choose. The developer then chooses who they use. Like Apple can't just go in, go in and say, okay, you can either use Apple Pay or you can use Pay Apple. Those are your two choices and create a duopoly. Do, the same person in chat says, do, does it say that they, that they can choose who they use? Yes. The developer does have the right to choose. How, 
However, the question then becomes, what is a button? Isn't that a crazy one? That this all depends on the definition of what is a button? Because the actual injunction says that the App Store must allow a button if the developer chooses to. What if the button goes nowhere? So we're not out of the woods yet before we start celebrating too much. We'll see down the road. That also being said, let's be perfectly honest. Epic, assuming that my read on what, on what they want is correct, that Epic will not be satisfied until they get their own store on these walled garden platforms. They're not going to be satisfied with this result. They're going to appeal. Which then means this case is going to go from this court to the California State Appeals Court. And then if they don't get the ruling there, it can go up to... It can be appealed to the California Supreme Court. And then, because this is, potentially, if they can make their case well enough, a case that can affect the platform federally, it could potentially be then appealed to the federal appellate court. And then, potentially all the way up to the federal Supreme Court. And if any one of those courts along the way places a stay on what this California court has said, that means that everything I just said will not be enforced. A stay means that we believe that this ruling was made an error and it will not be enforced until we have heard both sides and make our own decision. No, I'm sorry, uh, doofus in chat. No, Judge Judy is not above the Supreme Court. Someone in chat says, so what you're saying is that this is going to take 10 years. Yes. I said when this first happened, this is going to take years. And guess what? It could very well take a long, long time. Now, if, if Epic does fail to make a convincing case that this is a federal issue, seeing as how the only thing currently that was found to be in violation of any sort of law was a California law, it may not go to the federal system at all. It may just stay within the California court system.
But again, that is for the courts to decide and not some random nerd behind a microphone. So I think with that, you know, have we gone ahead and uh, answered all the questions? Even though what ends up happening is that no matter how we've explained it here, the end result is most likely nothing changes. Wee! Isn't law fantastic? That's a sarcastic question. The answer is no. No, it isn't. God, I hate co covering legal issues on, on tech shows, but of course we have to because it does affect everything. <sighs> Let's talk about a weird story real quick before, before, we, uh, before we take our next break. While that's all going on, Amazon is expanding its education perk for their employees to cover 100% of college tuition while you're working for Amazon. You know what? I'll admit, that is a very generous offer. I, for one, if I was going ahead and going to college while also working at Amazon, would love to have 100% of my education paid for while I'm going to college while working at Amazon. I'm absolutely gonna need it because I am going to be freaking mentally exhausted between going to college and freaking working my butt off going full bore inside an Amazon warehouse. Because I mean, that is the catch in all this. No matter where you go to college, you're working for Amazon and Amazon They go ahead and they expect full production out of you as an employee of Amazon. Oh boy. So, I mean, I'd say good on you, Amazon, but there's still the, the issue of, uh, have you gone ahead and, uh, like addressed that whole, uh, working conditions thing? Like, I know the whole peen bottles thing is not 100% your fault, but it is still, like, a problem. Forcing your employees to get screened for theft for hours and not paying for that time that you're holding them confined there being screened for not stealing product from your warehouses is a problem. People collapsing on the warehouse floor from exhaustion is a problem. Being good at PR, Amazon is not. Like these are all serious issues. But hey, you know what, at least my pain and suffering while at college is 100% paid for. 
while I'm pushing myself to physical exhaustion while college is pushing me to mental exhaustion, thus completing the full 169% experience of being completely and utterly exhausted at all times. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, Twitch has finally, after four months, taken an actual audible shot against the hate raiders. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, Twitch, we've we talked about this in the past. Twitch has had a hate raid problem that has been widespread for, from what I've been able to measure, slightly over four months. Like, this has been going on for a while. It really didn't start being widely talked about until about a month ago was when a ton of people really started talking about it. What a hate raid is, for those who don't know, is a puppeteer would take a massive, underline a massive number of chat-only bots and spam one phrase. And it would usually be something that's intended to be very very offensive specifically target that specific streamers race sexual preferences or something of that of that matter or in one person just because they're british that's it that's what a hate rate is these have also coincided with a massive amount of follows specifically to trigger a streamer's follow alerts now in addition while this has been going on there has also been a follow bot kind of scheme going on specifically from a bot that has been called Hoss, H-O-S-S. This bot, all it's been doing is following every single Twitch user it can find whenever they start going live and going streaming. And as far as I and a number of other people can tell, its sole goal in life is just to get follow backs. A number of these accounts have accumulated a massive number of follows, something close to like 14,000, 15,000. I and a number of other people have suspected its end goal is to then do what a lot of these sort of accounts do on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. After it's amassed this number of followers, it would then sell the account. The new owner of the account would then change the name and then use it for whatever. 
So like, say if I was a less than reputable person, I wanted to go ahead and get into the Twitch streaming gig. I would then approach these sort of follow bot accounts, buy one of their accounts, change the name from Haas12369 lol420 or whatever the heck it was that accumulated all these bots to whatever I wanted and then turn it into my own streaming account. And all of a sudden, hey, look, I have a streaming account with 14,000 followers. Compared to the hate raids, a very harmless endeavor, but also very much against the Twitch terms of service. However, because these went out at the same time, and because these accounts were being made via an automated botted exploit, these accounts were made in massive numbers. And that was the biggest problem going on Twitch. Twitch could never plug this vulnerability. And in fact, as we discovered earlier before we started the podcast, we discovered the very easy way to solve all of this. One big, massive vulnerability that exists within Twitch that should have been plugged 10 years ago, but hasn't, and should have been. We'll get to that in a minute. But this brings to the shot. Twitch has been, and they've said this publicly weeks ago, that they have been altering how their stuff works in the back end to counteract the creation of these bots. In the end, they have been unsuccessful and they haven't given a whole lot of details as to what they were doing to counteract the bots. Twitch has now filed a lawsuit against two so-called hate raiders that have, as far as Twitch has said, been the ringleaders of the whole operation. They go by the usernames of Cruise Control, Cruise of course being misspelt, and Creatine Overdose. Both of these users apparently reside in Europe. Another outlet claims that one resides in Germany and the other resides in the Netherlands, However, very few outlets are running with this information, so I don't know how reliable that information is. Now, a number of people are saying this is a huge victory. This is all because of the a Twitch day off boycott and whatnot. I'll, I'll just tell you this right now, not to rain on your parade. No, this was not because of the boycott. Because it takes bureaucracy a long time to make sure their I's and T's are crossed when doing an international lawsuit. It is possible that this lawsuit was being planned back when a day off Twitch was first being talked about. 
I would say this lawsuit has been in the works for three weeks. That is my rough guess based on my knowledge of how this sort of stuff goes down. That being said, and as much as I'd like to say, hey, you know, Twitch has been doing their best and this sort of thing's been in the works for a while, what is unexcusable is both A, it took Twitch months to finally react and finally do something in regards to a massive account exploit and having accounts automatically generated and being used for nefarious purposes and poisoning the environment of Twitch. But the fact that you can go ahead and make an account with no phone number and, and this is the big thing, you can make an account with no email. None. You could make up an email entirely and chat on Twitch. And the only way to prevent this is by going as a streamer into your settings under your creator dashboard, going to settings, going to moderation, and then three sections down in chat privileges, there is a checkbox there that is off by default. And you have to check that on. And then just like that, now that account must have either a verified phone number, which is the default, or they need a verified email. People in chat have, have been asked, and I actually heard this too. We actually tested this before we went live with the podcast. Does this setting work? This setting does work. Now, is it still possible to verify a non-existent email? It's possible. But you know what this tells me right off the bat? The entire platform for how Twitch has accounts made is a joke. A complete and utter joke. I literally, literally before the stream even started, I made a brand new account and was able to chat in my own chat using a completely bogus email. Right before I even went live with this podcast. And I could stop it by flipping one switch. And then I banned the account because I also said what password I used to make that account on the stream. But not a few other details about the password, but I digressed. Someone in chat says they do not have that option. If they don't, that is actually very, very surprising. So, action is finally being done about the hate raids. Person in chat says that it was on by default. Alleluia. 
some action actually is being done. It is a Christmas miracle. Other people have said it was not on for them by default. So I would strongly recommend if you do stream on Twitch, make sure that's on. And then while you're at it, Twitch, why is this a switch? Why is this a switch at all? But no, in the interim, we just get things like changing the way that auto hosts work so they don't work at all. By the way, on Twitch, your auto hosts no longer work. I mean, they do, but they don't. People in chat are starting to speculate whether um, whether it was turned on, on or not. That particular user that said that it's on, I know for a fact they uh, are a resident of Germany. It could be a country by country thing. That it could be that Twitch Germany has that nailed by by default to in coordinates with like some sort of law and the US one is just off by default because they just never cared regardless oh another person that was on, that was off by default said they're german and it was off by default either way whether on or off by default <laughs> check your settings <laughs> Just check your settings because I can confirm the setting works. Whether or not that stops these particular hate raid bot bots, because it is possible the exploit that they are, that these two used does trick the system or does actually have verified emails that are also automatically generated. I am not saying that this switch is an end all be all. I am saying this is a switch that can help, might even stop these raids. And the fact that it's a switch and not just like something that is just enabled by default, always at all times and never is a switch in the first place, blows me away. The other thing I'd like to report on is also an, uh, a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about this Hoss guy. And a number of new Hoss accounts are saying uh, very, are using the word Hoss, the number, and then very ominous messages at the end, like Hoss Master Race, Hoss is alive, Hoss is after you. I do not know what the story is with these, with these accounts. It comes off to me as a third party in this trying to take advantage of the fear mongering that has been going on on Twitter and taking advantage of the situation for the sole purpose of trolling. But I have found no link in the past of the Hoss follow bots and the hate raids. There's also some fear mongering saying that Hoss was using infected extensions to steal IP addresses and use that to dox certain streamers. The Hoss accounts have no extensions. Their profiles are completely blank. If they somehow did sneak 
malicious extensions into the Twitch system, they're not active. And even so, to my knowledge from people that, that have, granted, I don't know any extension makers, but that sort of information doesn't seem like it would be available in a Twitch API. Even if that was the case, an IP address is a very, very bad tool to try and dock someone with. Because I don't know if you realize this, but your IP address, most of the time, can change on a whim. It is why trying to trace bad actors via IP addresses is absolutely terrible. Someone in chat says theirs is static. And if yours is static, first off, congrats. Because for the longest time when hosting servers myself, I wish I had a static IP. I really, really wish I had a static IP. But here's the other thing. If someone's goal was in fact to dox a streamer, there are way, way, way easier ways to go and find information about that streamer than hoping they click on a link and go to an infected page and get an IP address. For example, Facebook. Surprise! Or heck, how about a data leak off Twitter? Ooh, it's not like we talk about those every other week. Yeah, no, there's... The Haas accounts, as far as I'm able to tell, are not related to the hate raiders. That also being said, while we've been broadcasting and recording this podcast, I have been occasionally keeping an eye on my follow list. I have not yet seen any of these new follow bot accounts. I only see one. I don't know if it is a follow bot or not. And if they're not, hey, thank you for following. But I do actually strongly recommend if you do stream on Twitch, and this is something I adopted about a year ago. Don't have your follows show up in your list. It can be a massive distraction, especially since I have seen way too often people just go ahead and come up with a really offensive username just to follow, just to have that offensive username show up on the screen. If you have a follow alert, just have it be a simple like, hello, a hi, or or something like that. Don't have it actually show the name. Because in the end, if if whoever's following actually does want to be known what their name is, they're going to type in the chat and then you can say hi to them. Where if they don't want to be known and they just want to follow for the sake of following, now they're not revealed. And if they are following for the sake of getting an offensive name shown on the screen, well, now you didn't give them what they wanted anyway. So those are all things to consider 
when managing your own stream. Because in the end, whether you're streaming on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, even though you shouldn't, the artist formerly known as Mixer, or wherever, you are the streamer. You are responsible for your community. So always make sure you have a mod team. Set up with people that you, that you trust. Check in with them once in a while and say, hey, I've heard this. Let's be on the lookout for it. And if, you know, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of random names start talking about how Kefka did nothing wrong, but replace Kefka with another well-known hi historical figure. Then you know, you're ready for it. And in a few simple steps, you've solved the problem, and you can continue with the entertaining show you set out to do. And by the way, when I say mod team, two people is all it takes. I'm not saying have a crew of like 30. Always be prepared. And with that, we move on to a far far more depressing story about how TikTok has surpassed YouTube's average watch time on Android in the US and the UK. I hate this. I hate this so much. Now, keep in mind, this story... And the reason why I grabbed this story in particular is because it didn't lead with the with the terrible headline of tw TikTok surpasses YouTube. It is only in watch time on Android on the US and the UK. Someone in chat says TikTok still lives. I hope that died. No, t TikTok has been growing massively. And the fact that it is within arm's reach of YouTube's watch time is very, very worrying. And it also might explain why YouTube gaming is starting to make some very bold moves against Twitch. Because they can feel the next big giant TikTok breathing down their neck. Now keep in mind, this is just Android. This doesn't include iOS, and it doesn't include literally any other method you use to watch YouTube. And TikTok as a whole is a platform that is intended and designed for your phone. Someone in chat says TikTok content is getting put on YouTube shorts. It's true. 
Twitter is also experimenting by having all of their by by on certain platforms their media content being borderless, going completely edge to edge, trying to compete with the short video format that TikTok has. TikTok has basically gone, taken the Vine concept and taken it and actually finally making it successful. It's why YouTube Shorts exists. It's why YouTube is putting down so much money to try and make people say, put out those YouTube Shorts. It's also why that I, as a content creator, have actually sincerely looked at making content on TikTok because there is a lot of eyeballs there. But at the same time, TikTok is an application that while on mobile does try to skim a metric ton of data. I would strongly recommend that you as a viewer do not download the TikTok app because it does some very, very sketchy things on your phone that would actually make Facebook blush. But if you are a content creator, you cannot ignore TikTok as much as I wish you could because it is not going anywhere. And it is where there are a ton, underline a ton of eyeballs and always consider any content you make for TikTok you can always post on YouTube shorts as well. Someone sitting in chat suggested get a TikTok burner phone. There you go. Uh, go, go ahead, uh, get a second phone, uh, get an El Cheapo one. In fact, instead of those uh, Facebook glasses, just put that $300 to another smartphone. It's gonna be able to do more anyway. Um, register that name under a pseudonym. Uh, do everything in your power to make sure that that phone is never used for anything else. And uh, there you go. That's your dedicated TikTok phone. There you go. Much safer that way. That way, if they go go ahead and get, get a name. Yeah, yeah. First name pseudo, last name Nim. There you go. Now you're getting it. Now, now you're on the ball. We're going to take our last break here. When we come back, we have a lot of hardware news as well as the date for the next Apple iPhone announcement. We'll be back. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, do you remember Amazon Luna? The competitor to Stadia? Well, don't worry. I thought it was dead too, but rest assured. Luna Game Streaming is now coming to Fire Tablets and Chromebooks. Hallelujah. Finally, my Chromebook can play something other than that delightful li little uh that wonderful little uh game that was on the google's on the google's homepage for a while unfortunately it's gone now so now there's been no games on 
Chromebooks, but hey, now you can go ahead and get, and get Amazon Luna for your Chromebook and your Fire tablets, I suppose. I will give them credit. As much as I don't like cloud gaming, I'd much rather have physical control over my hardware. I do like the pricing model of Amazon Luna more than I like Google Stadia's. Someone in chat asked, are you saying that Stadia has won the race to becoming vaporware? No. Google Stadia is not dead yet. But it will be soon. I have been successfully corrected by chat. There is still the T-Rex jumping game if your Chromebook is offline. This is true. You still have the T-Rex jumping game on. It has been a while since I've had a chance to play that. I actually should have done that while I had no internet for a while. But that also being said, if you, and a new update has come to Amazon Luna, the one we all expected. If you have Amazon Prime, you can try Luna gaming stream streaming game. Luna game streaming for free. Unfortunately, it is only a trial, but you do get an extended free trial of Amazon's Luna Gaming. Unlimited gameplay on four games through September 15th, if you have Amazon Prime, or... You could instead instead play the critically acclaimed MMORPG, Final Fantasy XIV, and et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. Or, you know, just go do whatever, do whatever the heck you want because you have a computer, most likely. That also being said, Sony had their 2021... I need to go ahead and get the name of this. The September 2021... PlayStation Showcase, in which they showed no real compelling case to buy a fictional PlayStation 5. But there might be reasons in the future. There actually were quite a few games that did look very, very interesting, but most of them don't have a date that is until 2023. So if you are like me and you are unable to get a hold of a PS5, rest assured, you aren't missing out on too much yet. TM. But there are more and more rumors starting to mount that Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to get a PC port soon. Unfortunately... This mounting evidence is showing that Final Fantasy VII Remake PC is going to be an Epic Game Store exclusive. And it's not all that surprising either. We already saw Kingdom Hearts end up becoming an Epic Game Store exclusive on the PC. So 
for those of us who don't like the practices of the Epic Game Store, we are just uh, more and more disappointed. Chat is not pleased by that news there. And I don't blame them. It's okay, chat. One day it'll be out of exclusivity. One day, hopefully. That would be a real, real big bummer if it just stays an Epic Games Store exclusive indefinitely. I would hope to be wrong. Valorant! is taking part in a very bold move. They are enforcing the Trusted Platform Module 2.0 and Secure Boot for the version of Valorant exclusively for Windows 11. They're not going to care if you don't have a Trusted Platform Module or, or Secure Boot enabled on Windows 10. But if you're on Windows 11, you better have that Trusted Platform Module and Secure Boot which you needed to have a fully supported version of Windows 11 in the first place. Which then just makes you wonder what was the point in the first place. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what the end goal of this is either. But um, keep in mind, you technically can install Windows 11 on computers that don't have a trusted platform module or secure or, or, or secure boot. Some people have been saying that this is due to, as someone just said in the chat, anti-cheating. As someone who does not play first-person shooters to cheat or has looked into cheating on a first-person shooter, I legitimately do not know how this is going to prevent anti-cheating. But if it does, I mean, go for it. I know first-person shooter cheating has been rampant lately in the PC space. And it's starting to get even worse down the road someone in chat with more knowledge on the issue than than i do is saying that it's most likely to do with the trusted platform modules ability to encrypt memory and that actually could possibly be it could quite possibly be we now have a date for intel's 12th generation alder lake desktop processors and the Z690 nice motherboards that are going to be launching. They will be launching on November 19th. And then we can find out if Intel has actually managed to improve themselves at all. Now, these are going to be the hybrid model of processors. Normally, most desktop processors have just been using one size CPU core. Alder Lake is going to be having two sets of CPU cores, high efficiency cores and high performance cores. And it'll switch between the two to maximize power efficiency. 
This kind of technology is what's used currently in your smartphone. Smartphones like the one that I can't find right now that I placed somewhere in my apartment and I'm not entirely sure where they are, where it is right now. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Intel's full-sized desktop version of this is going to perform. Uh, someone in chat has corrected me and said that the, the trusted platform itself provides the keys for it, but it cannot encrypt the memory itself, which is fair. Again, it, it, it is a field that I am not an expert in. Kind of like legalese. Not an expert in that. Now, while Intel is trying to figure out how to catch up with AMD as far as performance, IBM has now shown off a new mainframe CPU that has done a massive change in the way that a CPU stores the data it's using. Instead of having multiple different layers of cache, an L1 cache, an L2 cache, an L3 cache, an L4 cache, this one has no L3 or L4 cache, but instead just has one massive bank of L2 cache. What about the L1 cache? I don't know. I'm not a CPU engineer. Stop asking me questions, weird voice in my head. But possibly this new mainframe CPU could show how future CPUs start working. Instead of having multiple layers, instead just having one massive bulk of cache and just accessing it that way. Is this going to be a far better and far more efficient way of managing CPUs down the road? Who knows? Someone in chat says there was an L1 change. They also said there has to be L1 cache somewhere. Maybe if I scroll down, we'll see it. You know what? We're running short on time. L1 is for the registries. The point is we're running out of time and we'll just have to see how this performs down the road. More, more than likely, we'll probably see next year Intel and AMD experiment with this sort of thing. Actually, who am I kidding? Not next year, the year after. But enough about CPUs. Let's talk about fictional GPUs. Like this fictional GPU, the Radeon RX 6600. Leaks have come out for this fictional GPU that may or may not exist. And it is gonna be a step down of the AMD RX 6600 XT. However, this fictional GPU, the RX 6600, is going to price-wise be more competitive with the other fictional GPU, the NVIDIA RTX 3060. However, if you've been paying attention to the GPU market at all, you would know that all of these GPU prices are imaginary. Completely and utterly fictional. And pretty much everyone's just been making it up as they go with what the prices are. So 
a new low cost GPU. Cool. I can't wait to see it on sale for a thousand dollars because that is just how bat squeak insane this GPU market is. That also being said, someone in Russia has gotten their hands on an RTX 3080 Ti that never existed. This specific version of the RTX 3090 Ti, which by the way is a super fictional GPU, has 20 gigabytes of RAM on it. Whereas the actual 3080 Ti only has, what is it, 12 or nine? I wanna say 12. But in any case, this other one had 20 and thus kind of pushing more towards my original speculation with the 3080 Ti that they shaved down the RAM drastically to save on chip costs because welcome to a chip shortage where the cost of chips just keep on going unless that chip is made out of potato or corn or whatever the heck Pringles are made out of. What are Pringles made out of? We'll never know. But while all these fictional GPUs are talked about, Apple has announced when they're gonna announce non-fictional phones. Well, they didn't say they're gonna announce phones, but let's be honest, it's September, and Apple says they're gonna have an announcement. It's gonna be iPhones. It's gonna be the iPhone 12 or 13. Thirteen, iPhone 13. The event is going to be up on September 14th at 10 a.m. in which we have no idea what they're going to announce except for an updated Apple Watch which is going to have a bigger screen, updated AirPods which are going to have better sound quality-ish TM, probably a better range, better battery life. And a new iPhone 13, which is going to have a very similar look to the iPhone, to the outgoing iPhone 12, and feature a faster processor and not much of anything else. In fact, we are so confident that this is what's going to be announced at the Apple event that people have already started to speculate what the iPhone 14 is look like. You know your launch is going to be bad when the rumor mill is already thinking ahead to the next generation. Like, let that sink in for a second. <sighs> New renders of the next iPhone show the iPhone 14 being thinner with a steel band around the size a more iPhone 4-esque look to the buttons and a flush back, eliminating the camera bump that Apple has pretty much blighted the entire world with, much like the notch. Oh yeah, and also featuring a pinhole screen. But here's the next question. Can we get a headphone jack? Please, please? Headphone jack, please. I, I don't know what I'd use my headphone jack on. A a Apple's Appleness has infected so much of the other world. I don't have wired headphones anymore. But can I have my headphone jack anyway? You've stolen everything else to, from me. 
Who are we kidding? We're lucky we're getting a charging port. I'm still waiting for Apple to pull that trigger. Go wireless charging only. Meanwhile, an NFT has sold for nearly $340,000. But the best part about this NFT is that it's fake. What have I said? <laughs> what have I said about NFTs? It is only a matter of time until someone makes a fake a NFT out of someone else's name and then sells it for massive profit and there's nothing anyone would do about it. Lo and behold, the artist Banksley has just had fraud committed against. Slow freaking clap. Good job. Good job, crypto. You have managed to prove that once again, nothing really matters. But that being said, perhaps I can interest you in some tourism. Perhaps heading down to El Salvador. Where El Salvador has adopted Bitcoin as a national currency. Not the only national currency, mind you, but you they now have a nationally sponsored Bitcoin wallet, and anyone in the country can now use it. But you know what I love the most about this? The sole goal of adopting Bitcoin in the first place was because people who travel abroad, I love the fact that in this video that's playing for this article from the Reuters, they show someone with a crack in their phone screen. Just because apparently a crack, a small crack in the phone screen is now just considered commonplace in the phone. That's not to criticize anyone for accidentally dropping their phone and having a crack form. But the fact that we all just accept that a phone screen is just more often cracked than not amuses me greatly. But I digress. The sole thing started because a lot of people from El Salvador have family that travel abroad, but then send money home to their relatives in El Salvador, but then pay massive percentages of that money in transaction fees to move that money. But if they adopt Bitcoin, uh, all of a sudden, transaction fees have been circumvented. A, A plus number one. And keep in mind, Bitcoin is not mandatory to be used. Its use is, of course, optional, as this video that's being played on silent actually says. But a lot of people don't want to touch it just because Bitcoin is considered volatile which, by the way, Bitcoin is very volatile. I mean, heck, I get notifications for it fluctuating between around 5% on a daily basis almost. I mean, how great is that, that your currency can just magically devalue or inflate wildly within 24 hours? Stable currency, great. 
God, it's more volatile than the gas prices around here. But of course, guess what El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin did to the value of Bitcoin? What do you think it did? Did it increase? Did it increase? Of course it increased, right? How could it do anything but go up? An entire country is promoting the use of Bitcoin. Obviously, it can go up, right? Right? No, of course it went down. Why would I say otherwise? It went down. Someone actually in chat says it went down 30%. I thought it only fell 20. It dipped down from 53,000 and then fell, according to the article, to just over 43,000 in just a day. Wow. But you know what the funny part is? Here's the real funny part. Frequent listeners of the podcast are wondering, wait, where's the last burb though? I mean, this is already a pretty bizarre story. Where's the weird story for the week? Oh, this isn't the weird story. This is a weird story, but it is nothing compared to the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a rideable robot unicorn for kids. Rideable robot unicorn. <laughs> Chinese EV maker that I'm gonna mispronounce Jipeng, X-P-E-N-G, that is most likely not how you pronounce it, has teased a robot unicorn meant for children to ride on. (laughs) Oh, now the thing is, is that this is only teased. It is not available yet. But people are speculating this thing is going to cost upwards of $75,000. And probably the best part made by the article is that much like a real unicorn, it currently does not exist. And I'm not going to lie. The fact that this unicorn has like a weird like anime like dog face on it is not helping the case of this robo equine having a future in the world. But for those who heard the teaser and heard unicorns, now you know I was not kidding. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. And wherever you're listening from, wherever it be, Live on my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon, at Anchor, on iHeartRadio, on the Helium Network, wherever it is. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you around next time. Bye bye
The real suspicious thing about all this, though, is that the freaking robot unicorn costs almost as much as a normal electric vehicle. At least on paper. So I'm what what is the heck with with freaking electric vehicle companies and making anything that costs somewhere in the range of $40,000 and $100,000. There is just no in between. It's always got to be this length. I mean, if we're going to make a robot for kids, I mean, is there any way we can get that cost like a little bit lower? Maybe like cut off a zero? Because I mean, like 75 grand. Holy cow. Also, how much spying is this thing going to do? And why the heck does the face look like Winnie the Pooh? Is this actually a political statement in China? I have so many questions. I'm going to get none of the answers, am I?